Hi, everyone. Now, for the next couple of weeks, we are doing a re-release of some of our most listened to podcasts. Being school holidays here in Australia and mid-year, I thought this was a great time to take a short break and book in some amazing interviews for the second half of the year. So I hope you enjoy the next couple of weeks of our re-releases. And if you've listened to some of the interviews before, maybe you'll find and listen in and find something new. Otherwise, if you haven't listened to these, I really hope you enjoy them. Hi, I'm Kate Boyle and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. Welcome back to the podcast and I'm super excited today to have a lovely special guest. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Kate, for having me. I am thrilled to be here and can't wait to see where this conversation takes us. Well, I was just saying, Kristen, before we started that I haven't explored a lot about relationships and, you know, being stuck and transitions in our lives. So I think it's a really important topic to be sharing on the show today. So can you just share with listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm Kristen Boyce. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist focusing in trauma, anxiety, depression, relationship challenges. And I really help people close the chapter on what doesn't serve them so they can step into possibility and freedom. And so what does that mean? That means we take a deeper dive into who are we authentically? What are the conditioned kind of program parts of ourselves? And what's really authentically us so we can find our voice? Because at the end of the day, we have a hard time saying what we need, what we want, what we like, what we don't like. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We kind of are raised and conditioned to people, please. And so it's about finding courage to be yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. And I would <laughs> I would say that for some people, I mean, that's really hard to do. Even you just saying then, you know, people pleasing, you know, learning your own boundaries, you know, I can put my hand up to that because even though I set clear, I feel like I set clear boundaries in the moment, you know, I feel empathy towards a person or I feel bad that I'm not giving my time and I cave in. Like I'll admit I do it. <laughs> yes, it's hard. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm making it sound so easy. Just, you know, have these boundaries and boundaries are what's okay with us, what's not okay. And then we end up saying yes to a lot of things that we really wanted to say no to because we're afraid. We're afraid of not belonging. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of judgment. We're afraid of not being liked. And so that kind of drives the train for a lot of us until we decide, you know what, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, I'm tired, my body's kind of taking a hit, right? It starts falling apart and it's signaling to us, our bodies are telling us so much information, but we're many of us are disconnected from our bodies. Yeah. And so the first step is like, okay, what is my body telling me? Oh, I have a pit in my stomach. When someone asked me, can you bring cookies to, I'm making this up, but whatever, <laughs> bring something. And in my stomach, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. But my fear says, well, what if they don't like me? What if they think I'm selfish? What if they don't think I contribute? Oh my gosh, I want to belong. 
Yeah. We have a whole dialogue in our head, right? hundred percent. I'm like, they are things that go through my head all the time. <laughs> yes. Cause we're human. And our number one need is to feel like we are lovable, that we belong, that we're understood, that we're special. Like we want to feel like we're part of something and relationships are where we feel like we're going to get that connection. We're going to get that sense of um, worthiness belonging, like those are all things that we all crave. And that makes sense. And then the cost, if we aren't our true self, is we feel more lonely and disconnected when what are we looking for? Connection. Yeah. It's the opposite. opposite. (laughs) Exactly. How do we start to take those steps to respect the boundaries that we create for ourselves? First step, and this is this is the biggest thing, is to get centered and connect to yourself. Because what we do is we kind of automatically give an automatic response to something, or we are so driven based on our patterns of behavior. Like, well, this is this is what I've been conditioned to say yes to. Otherwise, then I look like I'm not giving and I look selfish. So the first thing is getting connected to your own body through the breath. And this is something that many people teach. And until you start doing it, I'll have clients come in and I'll like, okay, we're going to breathe. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm paying for therapy (laughs) and we're going to breathe. Like, really? This is what we're doing? And I say, the reason why we're doing this is to slow things down, to slow that those looping thoughts down, to get you connected to the present moment, to get you connected to how you feel and regulate your nervous system. So the first thing I really teach people to get recentered is slowing things down is through the breath. So, so we do square breathing in through the nose, we hold Don't. and then slowly exhale out the mouth. So yeah you probably are familiar with this. I'm going to say, I love this because being a Pilates instructor and working with people in pain, the exact same thing happens. They come in for class and their first lesson, we start with the breath and the same thing. They think I'm here to use all this equipment. You're supposed to be working my core. Why are we starting with the breath? And the same thing so that they can be centered in their body. They can actually feel and connect to the muscles that they're activating, drop into, you know, it's very funny because a lot of people will get very emotional and they will cry or they were, and they get so embarrassed. And I say it happens quite a bit because once you actually stop and start connecting into your body, you become, you know, you connect to more of your emotions and things start to free up. So yeah, I love that you do that in your sessions as well in a totally different field. I love this conversation beyond in what you're doing, because that's so true. The minute you have someone start breathing, I would say 75% of the time, emotion comes up and they're like, I don't even know why I'm crying. That will be like you just said, I don't even know why I'm crying because we haven't slowed things down enough to connect to what's really going on in the inside. And then there's a lot of shame. People feel like, well, something's wrong with me. You know, I'm not good enough or I'm embarrassed or I'm humiliated. And I say, this is actually progress. Reframing it like you letting out emotion is healthy for your body, for your nervous system, for your mental and emotional health. That's wellness. Like letting yourself let the release what's being held in the body. They'll go, well, I, I feel like I'm regressing. And I'm like, 
Yeah, I hear you because you're not used to letting that out and it being okay. Yeah. And I actually find once they have that release, they actually move better. They're a lot more relaxed. They have already built that layer of trust with you, even in those few moments, because they've let that vulnerable side of them come out. And in that trust building aspect, I then can work with them on a much deeper level. But as you sort of said, the progress comes more quickly because they've already built that level of trust just in letting that happen. Because their bodies feel safe. Yeah, exactly. Their nervous system feels safe and says, oh, I feel safe with you. And when you feel safe with another human being, you cannot put a price tag on that. So you creating that safety so their bodies can then and their their emotions can go, oh, okay, I can do this with her. I can let my body do what it needs to do because she's she's a safe person. Yeah. There's so much to be said for that. Uh, yeah, but it's very interesting that you find that too, which is really, uh, um, I guess, because being a Pilates instructor in the Pilates that I teach, I teach a lot of rehab work. So I do do deal with a lot of people that are in pain and they've taken a while to get here and they, you know, heard from others and the doctors referred them and they finally had to take that step and make that decision themselves. So I often say to my husband, even though we are working physically on the body, a lot of my clients probably take away more emotional benefits than even physical stuff. Just the touch that I am giving to their body or the understanding that I'm recognizing their pain and that sort of thing, which is, you know, not an easy thing to sort of explain to someone, oh, I go to Pilates, but, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, are you pushing really hard and, you know, you don't have like amazing muscle tone, but it's not always about that as I find with most of my clients. Exactly. The fact that you do, you offer acknowledgement, empathy, validation, the most vulnerable thing people, when I work with people in mental health and emotional wellness is to be seen. We all want to be seen, but then when you see somebody like you do and you acknowledge it, it can feel vulnerable for them to open up and share and and be seen actually someone acknowledging your pain, whether it's emotional, physical, because we know emotions live in the body. So this is something, there's a great book called The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you've heard of it by Dr. Basil Vanderkolk. Yeah, I have, but I haven't read it. So it's excellent. And it's a lot, it's about trauma, but it's about how emotions are stored in the body. And when we're stuck and not allowing ourselves to have boundaries, to go back to like, what are the steps, right? We kind of, we talked about the breath connecting to the body One of the things we know is that emotions are held in the body. If we do not get to process emotions, thoughts, feelings, body sensations, smells, what we saw, that can get frozen in time. So for example, let's say something happened at seven. I'm making this up, but just to give us some context, let's say someone was in in an abusive home at seven. And they never got to process that experience. They just had to go on because that's people didn't know about neuroscience and neurobiology and the importance of processing. And what I mean by that is being able to share the experience, the pain, the emotional pain, the sadness, the fear, how scared they were, how they felt in their body. Because that's why you'll hear little kids go, I have a headache. I have a tummy ache. And I'm like, oh, there's some, there could be, could be sickness. I'm not saying that. 
oftentimes it's something emotional going on. And so if someone comes into therapy and they had never got to process something in the past, but they want to just move on, they're like, that's in the past. It's over now. Can we just move on? And I'm like, I hear you so badly want to move on. And I hear that. And in order to move on, we have to move through, which means we have to release what got trapped in the nervous system, name the emotions. And that's overwhelming to people at the beginning. So what we do is we take baby steps. You know, the first step is to feel safe with the therapist. Second step is to identify, like, where do I feel stuck? How old do I feel? So this is a question I ask people, how old do you feel? And that's a hard question to ask because like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, maybe let's go through elementary school, middle school, high school. We'll start looking at grades perhaps and start trying to piece together. And oftentimes there's a younger part there that feels stuck, that didn't get witnessed, empathically witnessed for their pain. They didn't get to share what was really going on. In order to survive, they had to kind of push it down and move on. And we know that the body can hold on to that. It's really emotional pain, but it looks like it's just physical pain. And sometimes there's an injury and things like that. And those are that's not really what I'm talking about per se. I'm talking about more of the emotional pain that can live in the body. So starting to just identify your body sensations, what feelings come up. And a lot of people go, I don't even know what I feel. Have you heard people say that? They're like, so many times. Yeah. I don't even know. There's this thing in therapy where you can take a wheel of feelings and there's like a hundred feelings on there. That's immediately going to shut someone down. They're like, oh, I just need like a quick little cheat sheet. Well, there's good (laughs) news because neuroscience has narrowed down to seven core emotions. And if you've seen the Disney movie Inside Out, it was years ago. Yeah, but it's my girls love that movie and it is such a great movie. If you haven't, anybody listening, if you haven't watched it, even if you're an adult, it is definitely worth watching. Highly recommend this to clients. And I, I recommend clients watch it with their families. Like you're watching it with your kids. Because what we start doing is we start learning about the emotions. So in the movie, there's characters that represent these various emotions because the the main character in the movie is getting ready to move. And so, of course, there's grief in the move. And the parents are like trying to manage her feel like in there. And they show the dialogue of the parent, what's going on (laughs) in the parents' heads, right? And they want to fix it. And there's like a dashboard of the brain. And so there's seven core emotions. They didn't go through all the seven in the movie for obvious reasons I'll share in a minute. But here's, here's the key core emotions. And you can write these down. It's like a cheat sheet to ask yourself, what am I feeling? Okay, let me try these on. And I usually pick one or two and you can have all of them at the same time, believe it or not. That's a lot of grief. Work has more than one emotion at a time. So one is sadness. And this is the one people come in and they're like, I don't want to feel this anymore. I don't want to feel sadness. I don't, that makes me feel bad. I don't want to feel worse after the session. And what we know to be true is the opposite will actually happen when you start slowly letting those feelings and emotions out, it'll be, you'll feel lighter. So we've got sadness, anger. Anger can also cover up sadness. It can be secondary emotion. It can be an easy kind of go-to for some people. And then some people weren't allowed to feel anger. So that's a scary one, depending on how they grew up or circumstantially. Anger might've been more rage at home. So that's a hard one. Um, We can have fear. 
I often will tell people to try on fear and sadness first because those are the two we didn't get to process most of the time. They're two that we don't like to feel, we don't want to feel, but that oftentimes runs the show. So I'll have them try on fear and sadness and where they feel it in their body. And then we have um, disgust. Some people, and you'll see in the movie, disgust. And some people are like, I don't really identify disgust. And how I encourage people to do it is when someone has a behavior that you might not like. So maybe someone's being mean to somebody else and you kind of feel disgusted with that person and how they're treating somebody else. That's disgust. You might feel some anger. You might feel some sadness. It's a it's one that I encourage people to give themselves permission to feel because if we deny any of these, we're not going to really process them, which means I'm not going to identify them. I might just try to avoid them, but they need to be released in a healthy way. So they're not like a leaky boat and we're projecting them on somebody else. Then we have a joy, which... Some people forebode joy because they're waiting for the next shoe to drop or something bad to happen, or they're, they weren't allowed to have joy, or maybe that was the only emotion they were allowed to feel at home was happy, you know, this joy feeling. Then we have excitement that was not in the movie, and then sexual excitement that was not in the movie for obvious reasons. So those are the seven, and that helps people narrow down and try on and start identifying what do they feel? Because if you don't identify what you feel, you're going to have a very hard time setting a boundary. Yes. I was just going to say, um, there's a new movie out at the minute called Good Luck Leo Grand with Emma Thompson. I, it's only just come out recently and you would have heard about it because she um, solicits a, a sex worker. She's an older lady and um, the, you know, the guy that she gets is much younger. Um, and it's funny that you bring this up that those extra two emotions are excitement and sexual excitement because in the movie, it's very interesting. She is an XRE teacher. So clients, you know, heard I was going to see this and they're like, oh, you know, how was it? And I said, it was a very interesting movie because yes, it's got, you know, a topic, a sex topic, essentially, which is often taboo and people either don't want to talk about it or are not very accepting of it. And then you have the main character who is an ex-religious teacher. So she is battling with so many of these restrictions that she has either placed herself in or grew up in and then lived her life by. And it, the movie is her journey of exploring those different boundaries emotions all around having this sexual experience that was denied to her for majority of her life all her life so it just made me think that that you know if you want I guess uh you know a movie that's suitable for children exploring emotions inside out is very good um but yes this movie it is obviously controversial um there is nudity in it so if you anyone is listening and you know they need to steer clear of that that is totally fine but if you're in curious to see how emotions can play out and boundaries then it is actually a very adult type of movie to uh check out too I will have to check that out. Sounds very interesting. Very interesting and not what I thought it was going to be. And even though, you know, some people may find some of the sex scenes uncomfortable, it's more how she got to that point and how she's dealing with it that's the very interesting part. So I'll just add that in for people uh, if they want to check that out anyway. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's that conditioning and those beliefs, and then you're kind of deconstructing those is a big part of the work. I mean, especially in boundaries, because we are told do this, don't do that, act like this, don't act like that. And so then as an adult, we have those shoulds in our head. And I call it shitting on yourself. You've probably heard that expression where you're just like, I sh-, and should is shame. Shame is there. I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad parent. I mean, fill in the blank. And so we try to, uh, we, what we're trying to do is cope with that feeling of shame by doing things that we think are pleasing to other people. So if they just like me, then I can't be a, that I'm not a bad person or then I'll belong. It's those if then, if I just do, if I just say yes, then they'll love me. Yeah. And I'm I'm assuming a lot of people get stuck in the same cycles over and over and trying to break those cycles may seem, you know, not possible as well. Yes. And that's the beautiful part of what people decide. You know what? I'm going to... I'm going to work on befriending discomfort, something I work on all the time. I'm saying that now, like, oh, yes, just work on discomfort. A lot of people are uncomfortable with emotions. They don't like them. They don't like how they feel. They are, they want that joy. They want contentment. They want different emotions than the ones they might have in the moment. So they might drink their feelings, eat their feelings social media, their feelings, meaning those scroll on social media. I mean, we have so many ways we want to shut those feelings down. And what we're doing is we're pushing them down back into the body. And then the body starts having a breakdown because we haven't really processed. We haven't felt and dealt with the invitation that's in front of us. And we're constantly being mirrored back, especially if you're a parent or you're in a relationship of any kind, they will mirror back to you. All these pieces and parts that are begging you to be healed, that are begging you to be tended to, nurtured, taken care of. Otherwise, we will repeat patterns unconsciously because the the brain likes patterns. The brain loves patterns. (laughs) And we'll go with what's predictable, what's comfortable. Yeah. And if you, you know, if a listener is listening in and going, oh, what she's saying is so true and I am seeing these patterns reflected back to me in my kids and I don't like these patterns in myself and I certainly obviously don't want to pass them on to them, obviously connecting with your breath can be the first step to exploring your emotions, but where do they go from there? How do they start to make the bigger changes that will have that flow on effect to the other areas of their life as well? And I, th- I think you're hitting the, the great first step, which we talked about is the breath. The second step is a decision and an awareness that, yes, I want to work on it. So I'll ask clients, they'll come in, I'll say, they're like, I've been, you know, I've been drinking a couple drinks every single night and I know I'm drinking too much. I'm eating too much. I'm, I'm social media into, and I'll go, do you want to, let's take them one at a time. Do you want to change that on a zero to 10 scale? How much do you want to change it? 10 being I'll do whatever it takes. Zero, I don't want to change it at all. Because what it means is you're going to have to put in effort. Mm. We don't like that. No. We don't like that. <laughs> Most people don't. Right? Yes. I don't. I, I mean, unless I really want to make the change, right? So it helps me 
take a pulse on my own willingness to put the effort in, in my own kind of self-reflection of where I am in doing some of the pattern work. Because let's face it, our brains like to default to what we know. And so it's not easy. So the first step is the breath. The second step is awareness and kind of taking an inventory on how motivated, how much do you want to change it? Whatever that specific thing is you want to change or heal. So the next thing is having the courage to lean into the discomfort And we've got, and I'm going to just say it so many times because I wish we taught this in schools, the importance of emotions and again, naming emotions. And then once we do that, now we're ready to kind of confront our, what we've locked away. And this is the other thing like, okay, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is you're starting to instead, let's say, for example, you find yourself in the pantry. You're like, I just need to eat. I just need a bag of chips. I just need a bag of chips. And then instead of grabbing the bag of chips, I go, let me take a deep breath. So I'm walking you through what this looks like in real life. Cause otherwise it's just, it feels overwhelming. So, okay. I'm in the pantry. Really want the bag of chips. I'm not really, sometimes I'm not even thinking about, I'm just grabbing the bag of chips. Now, if I want to disrupt the pattern, I'm going to go, oh, okay. Deep breath. I'm in the pantry. I want the bag of chips. What's What am I feeling? I'm feeling really sad right now. I'm feeling sad. I just got dysregulated with the kids. I yelled at the kids, making this up, but I yelled at the kids and now I'm feeling like I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad parent and I just, I just want to feel better. Like I just want some comfort. So I'm leaning, I'm going to the chip and I go, okay, what can I do instead? First, self-compassion. Okay, we're humans. We all do things we all say things sometimes that we regret. So I might make amends with whoever it is and apologize. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to either talk it out with somebody I trust. So I'm going to say, oh my gosh, I'm in a shame spiral. I just yelled at my kids and I'm feeling like I'm a terrible mother. The story in my head is I've ruined them for life. And now they're going to be scarred because I yelled at them. And now it's going to, they're going to think I, they won't want a relationship with me. And you see how I'm down the rabbit hole yeah. of the story in my head. Or if I don't have someone accessible, I'm going to write it out. And sometimes I have a notes app on my phone or I have my journal. I'm not going to reach for the bag of chips. Now, this is very hard to do because you're going, your brain wants the chips. Your brain's going to want the chips. So I'm going to have to continue to breathe. I want to continue continue to, you know, I'm going to write in my journal. I might even say, I'm going to go take the dog for a walk. I might listen to a podcast. I'm going to have a a cheat sheet of my go-tos. Instead of eating the chips, I'm going to call my friend, write in my journal. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to pet the dog. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to replace that with something to disrupt the pattern. And I'm going to cue my brain for those things that I, my list, using my list. Now, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So I don't want to paint this picture as, you're just going to listen to your podcast and then you're not going to want the chips. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't work and it's, it's okay. You have to forgive yourself. You have to go, you know what? I'm not perfect. This isn't perfectionism. This is about growth. This is about a journey of growth. And so sometimes we take 10 steps forward and we feel like we take 20 steps back. The fact that you're willing to lean into that discomfort 
sit with it, be with it, process it, explore it, get curious about it is really what that's the invitation for all of us. Yeah, truly. I do find that people get very frustrated though, with the taking the 10 steps forward and the 20 steps back. They hate it and think it shouldn't happen. It's not, you know, I've made it to here. The next step is forward. It should, it should never be back. Nothing, you know, nothing should ever come up that should force me to go back. Um, Cause I know I spend a lot of time with my clients explaining that, Health isn't something that you would achieve and and then that's done. It's a constant fluctuating thing that depends on the day, the interactions, the time of the month, the season, the, you know, how much sleep you had. So I spend a lot of time working with my clients explaining that there is going to be, you know, a flux and, you know, having, you know, an altercation with your partner is going to change how you feel emotionally, which will affect how you feel physically. And then that is going to follow through on your motivation or your energy levels and so on and so forth. But how do you work with your clients to, you know, make them know that it's okay to move forward, but also to move back? Just like what you said, okay. <laughs> I have these conversations and I'll say it's normal. And not, I, at the very first session, I'll say, sometimes you'll feel like you're taking 10 steps back and then it may be next week and you feel like you took 20 steps, you know, you took 10 steps forward and then you come in and then you feel like you just went backwards. And I said, that's what growth feels like. It's just the reality. It's the truth. I'm a truth teller. I love the truth. Me too. I love because the <laughs> truth is so empowering. And we're not taught like it's okay to tell the truth, really. You know, as kids, that's like, oh, don't hurt anybody's feelings. And I don't mean vomit on anybody. I mean, you can be very loving and kind with telling the truth. The truth is liberation. So I just name it. I name it. I identify it. And then I might say, what's coming up for you? As we kind of say, it's it can look like you you know up and down and up and down at times depending on life circumstances, and exactly what you just named, you did a beautiful job of naming all these things that affect how you feel and what emotions are going to come up and what might be tr- activated within your nervous system from something that you might not even recognize. Let me give you an example. So, for example. If you, if somebody experienced, I'm giving kind of a, just take this example and you can apply it however it might be in your life. Let's say you had a loss. Let's say you had a loss of a grandparent at 12. Okay. Or you had something, you had a significant loss around 12. And let's say your child now is 12. And all of a sudden you're like, I am so sad. I don't know why I'm sad. Like, why am I sad over this? And you don't always have to know the why, by the way. We can still find the healing without knowing the why, which people sometimes can get fixated on the why. So at 12, your body remembers that experience. And then you have your your child who's 12, that now that's it's your body's remembering 12 and what you went through at 12. And you don't even know like the, how the body and the brain work. They remember what we might not consciously remember. And so giving yourself permission to get curious and allow what's there and explore it with with compassion, that is not something we were taught at a young age. We're not taught that growth looks like, you know, it's up and down sometimes. (laughs) 
We just want to, it's like, we want the drive-through. We just want to get our item. It's like, I call it drive-through therapy. Like, can you just hit the button, order me a content and happy and joyful life and nothing bad's going to happen and all my relationships are going to great. And then I'd like to go to the window and pick that up and then go on with my life. Yeah. Like Monopoly, pass, go and collect $200 and keep going. Exactly. Exactly. And then I don't have to deal with the uncertainty of life. And the truth is life is so uncertain. And how do we handle the uncertainty? How do we handle the hard? How do we handle loss and grief and transition? Are we ever equipped to be able to sit with that, those feelings, that discomfort, that fear, the sadness? We're not really taught how to do it. And here's my my number one thing is we all want to be tenderly empathically witnessed. We want our pain to be witnessed. We want, because when people come in and try to solve the problem and we're like, I don't want to be fixed. And we do this to our children. Like, well, just X, Y, Z. I'm guilty of it. Trust me. And I have to watch myself because I'm like, well, here's what we can do to problem solve. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that. We skip over the step of acknowledging their emotions and their experience and witnessing their hurts because we just want to make it feel better. We want them to feel all good again. And we do that to ourselves. We like bypass, minimize, deny our own experience because we want to feel better. But we, what I tell people is how we feel better is like nurturing yourself. Be so tender to yourself. Well, we never learned that. So it's something we have to practice over and over. And that's probably in your work. I'm sure that's a big part. I could just hear it when you said it at the beginning, how you are holding space for people. Yeah, I I have to do it more than I, I think it's in my nature. So I think it comes, I'm definitely a, a more empathetic person. So even though, as I said, it's a modality that's fitness based, uh, it for me when I work with clients, you can't you can't make you can't improve the body if we don't work on all the other areas that are you know bringing you to this point. So to me, that seems normal and natural, um, and just the process that I tend to work with. But I know it's not the common practice um, for a lot of people, and a lot of the time when I'm working with people, I believe I have an intuition. So, you know, it's not from when we start the class, it's from when they walk in the door. You can see how they're holding their head, how they are with their demeanor, whether or not they're talkative or quiet or, and it's all those small things that you need to pay attention to because that then influences for me how I'm going to work with them as a client, even in a a fitness setting. But yeah, I don't think that's normal. It's called attunement. You have a, you have a, well, we call it attunement. So, and that's what we crave in all relationships. We crave attunement for someone to pay attention to that little eyebrow raise or your eyes, look in your eyes or your facial expression or, oh, when I said that, you 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 took a breath. People are like, I did? You noticed what? I mean, it's just like that's called attunement. That's a gift. Now, how attuned are you to yourself, do you think? Does that apply? Like, are you compassionate and empathic to yourself? I'm much harder on myself because I expect a lot more from myself. So even though I recognize it, I push it down because I think that I should be able to keep going. My role is to look after everybody else 
And so therefore I should just be able to deal with everything that I have going on. So I'm not nearly as compassionate with myself as I probably should be. (laughs) Isn't that how it goes that you're not alone in that. So the most compassionate people often have the hardest time being compassionate to themselves because they feel like they should have it together. They're the ones that are supposed to help everyone else. Mm. I'm getting a therapy session here, just (laughs) sitting on the podcast. It's so so powerful, isn't it? Like it's, it's, it's so hard to do that for ourselves. Yeah. And I think it is. And I, I do again, agree how you get brought up those values that get instilled to you as you grow up. I do believe also that being a woman and it being generally, not always, but generally you tend to be more of the caregiver and, you know, you grow the baby, you have the baby. I don't know if that's for everybody, but I know that, you know, placing it on myself, that a lot of that comes into play for me as well. And then also being, having that management. I was actually listening to a podcast the other day that was really um, fascinating. And it was with, you know, a, a female, very high up CEO. And she said that she hated being asked the question, how do you find balance? How do you balance it all? Because she said, it never gets asked to a male. You never ask a male how he's balancing his work-life balance and all the rest of it, but it's always asked of females. And I thought that was a very interesting point that she brought up because it is true and it is generally, you know, sort of experienced and sort of put on women that they have to to have it all and to balance the career and the family life, but it never often gets asked towards the male counterpart. So, yeah, I thought that was an, an interesting way of of exploring it. Yes, I think I listened to that same podcast. Yeah, maybe. So yeah, I was like, yeah, because I thought that was a really good point that we are conditioned into being caretakers. And biologically, we have that somewhat in us and not all like you said, not all women feel this way. And I feel it's one of those that evokes a lot of guilt when people do start setting boundaries and fear of letting people down or someone being upset with them. And so I spent a lot of time helping people work through guilt and shame and fear of, of setting boundaries mm. I can, for themselves. I was going to say, I reckon that would be a big thing for women, especially. Obviously, there's going to be, you know, I'm generalizing here, but I know I definitely see that just within my own clients you know, them being able to make it to class, they had to rearrange a lot of things just to even get there. Um, And it's, you know, even just that is they have to sacrifice some things or, you know, ask for help or whatever it may be. And sometimes just the aspect of that, and they will honestly say, I just couldn't get there this week. It just, it was just too hard. Yes. And it's hard. It's vulnerable asking for help. We don't talk about that. It's vulnerable for us to ask for help because we feel like we uh, the dialogue in a lot of our heads is we should be able to do it. You know, I don't want them to think that I can't handle it or I'm not contributing or what if I, you know, let my kids down or, you know, they're going to be upset when I leave. I mean, there's so many fears that play a part in and uh, in asking for help, that vulnerability of saying it's okay. And when you put your oxygen mask on, you've probably heard this analogy first, then we can be who we want to be as a person, as a partner, as a parent, fill in the blank with whatever that looks like. And that's hard to say, I'm going to pray 
prioritize myself, like physical movement helps mental and emotional wellness. We know this through research and yet we feel guilty. Like I, and you're right. Like I've had to figure out childcare. I've had to get here. I've had to make sure dinner's on the table. I mean, we could go through the litany of things just to get to the class. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I hear it all the time. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I have to say to them, especially because I do work with a lot of people that are in chronic pain, I have to say to them, this needs to be your time to look after you so that you can look after everybody else. Because if you physically are broken, then emotionally, do you know what I mean? Like being there for other people, it's just not going to happen. So I said, you know, and even if you can't get here, can you find five minutes, just five minutes in your day to to add in this stretch for me or to, you know, focus on the breathing that I've given you or whatever it is. And sometimes it works and, and sometimes it doesn't. But you know, I think again, just communicating that with them makes it feel okay that they have taken a bit of time out for themselves and how important that is, not just physically, but mentally as well. Absolutely. What a gift. You're helping people with that dialogue in their head that goes so, it's like 24 seven of what we should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. But I guess it's just one of those things that just comes up in class. It's just another conversation that <laughs> happens and comes along. And and it's making a difference. I have this. So when you're working with chronic pain, there's something I want to say about this nurturing piece that I think is really important. I'll tell you a story. So I'm in the car. We're at the grocery. My daughter's with me. And my husband just got a, a, a new car. And the step comes out from the from the side of the car. I didn't expect that. So I'm carrying the, I mean, I have like probably 10 bags of groceries. Cause of course I'm going to try to carry all the groceries out <laughs> at the same time and be efficient, right? This is what we do. So I've got the groceries. I'm opening the door. Bam. It hits me in my shin. I mean, and I've got the groceries and I'm just trying to so I take a breath. My daughter's watching this whole thing. And she's like, Oh, are you okay, mom? And I'm like, I take a breath because I'm like, this is not nat- like this isn't natural when we're in pain to just go, oh, breathe. No, I'm having to cue my brain because I want to say something else <laughs> that that isn't going to help me deal with the pain. So I'm so I I take a deep breath and I go, I start talking to myself out loud. I go, oh, sweetheart, that really hurt. You're okay. And I could feel the tears coming. You know, I go, it's okay, sweetheart. It really hurt. She goes, mom are you talking to yourself? Are you talking? I go, I am. I go, I'm nurturing myself right now because I'm in pain and I'm tending to the pain. And so I just kept going and I was like, it's all right. You're going to get through it. It's okay. I know that hurt. It's okay to let it out. It's okay to cry. And she looked at me and she goes, mom, you're being, and I've got the groceries, you know, you are being so kind to yourself. You're being so sweet to yourself. And lo and behold, when you know, the next time she got hurt, she talked out loud to herself and said, because we're modeling all the time. Mm-hmm. And this is just from doing my own work, you know, really, it's, I'm making it sound so easy. But when you can say out loud and nurture your pain in such a loving, tender way, it will change your life. It's not easy to do because when you're in pain, your body just goes pain, 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 pain. We want it to stop. Of course, we don't want to be in pain. Who wants to be in pain? And when you can just start befriending it, 
capturing it, instead of making it go away, we're going to love it. We're going to love on it. And I've been working on that ever since. It was a moment I didn't, it, it was one of those moments and we still talk about it. <laughs> She's like, yeah, that time when you hit that hit the shin and I had a big old welt and it was, and she said that really made a difference in my life. Mm. One moment, like just so, and I share that because it's not easy when someone's in chronic pain. There's so much, and you're working with people every day that are in chronic pain. And what I want to offer anybody listening right now is if you can just say, oh, sweetie, or whatever word comes to you, you don't have to use my words. I know you're in pain. I see you and I love you. And it's okay to have your feelings. Like giving that pain permission to be felt, experienced, and nurtured. Who who taught us that? Yeah. I mean, it's counterintuitive to anything we've learned. So I just offer that in such a tender way because we want it makes sense that we don't want to be in pain. That's why people are coming to therapy. They're coming, whatever they're trying to get rid of the pain. Mm. And that makes sense. Hi, everyone. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that you can download a free 15-minute core Pilates workout that I've designed especially for you to work your entire body and your core, including your pelvic floor and deep layer of abdominals, to really build strength, stability, and mobility. This is a nice, quick workout you can fit into your day. It's definitely 100% doable. You don't need any equipment to do it. And I guarantee once you finish your 15 minutes of Pilates, you will feel stronger, more energized, taller, and really joyful and happy for moving your body and getting those endorphins moving. So, Don't forget, head on over to the show notes and download that free core workout and try some Pilates with me. I can't wait to see you on your mat. I do have a question. If there is, obviously there's always multi-levels of pain. So what I find with, not, not all, definitely not all, but there's the odd client that I will, you know, they've taken a while to get to me because they've been in chronic pain and they've had resistance to it and they've finally gotten to me but there's only so much that I can do if they're not willing to process the emotions and traumas that they've had in the past. And so those clients are very difficult to work with in the sense that I feel frustrated because we will have a few lessons and I feel like it's not progressing very far. The pain isn't changing that much. There has been a little bit of progression, but we might get to the point where every week then is the same. And I have to every week they come in almost do the same similar things because they're restricted in their movement, they're in pain. Uh, I know that certain exercises will relieve, but we don't progress beyond that because I know that there's traumas and emotions. And I might mention that, you know, we were only getting so far because of this, but there is underlying emotions and traumas, but they're not willing or at that stage where they're able to process or want to process any of that yet. So do you have any recommendations for that? It's probably a very um, intricate question that doesn't have a simple answer, but one I know that I just get frustrated with myself because I really want to help these people. And it's to the point where I feel like every week I come in 
and we're doing the same thing and they're getting the same outcome. And even though I'm sure they feel happy, I know that they could get further, but I I can't. It's not my role to get them there because there's nothing else I can at this point. First of all, this is a beautiful question because I don't care if it's like what the circumstances are. When we care and love your clients and anybody else in your life. So if someone's listening, you really care and love about somebody and they don't want to do the the next step or the work or whatever, fill in the blank, quit drinking. I mean, it could be anything. This is the pain. This is the grief. There is nothing. I can offer loving space. I can hold boundaries. And at the end of the day, it's just like anyone coming to therapy. I can't, if they don't want to do the work, that's why the question of, do you want to do this? Do you want to, you know, how much do you, how motivated are you to change this? And sometimes they're probably in some people in pain. I, I acknowledge like, you know, there's trauma underneath that, that needs to be processed. That's trapped in the body. That's why the body keeps the score is exactly what you're talking about. Like you can only take them so far without them deciding that they, there's emotional component to this mm. that has to be dealt with on top of the physical component and say, you know, you, you said, I articulate like this is, I can only, we can only get so far until we deal with both of these buckets. We have to deal with the physical bucket and we have to deal with the emotional bucket. Those are two point pain points. And I can, I can take you so far on this physical bucket, but if we don't deal with the emotional bucket, it's not going to change the physical bucket. Yeah, it's exactly what happens. You, and they and they will identify that there is situations in their life that are very stressful or or whatever it may be, but they are compartmentalizing to the point because they can't process or they don't want to process that right now. Um and then I feel like you know, they end up stopping after a period of time because, you know, maybe it's not because they're not progressing at class. Maybe things just get too overwhelming. But I, they're the clients that I always think about and I always wish that I could have done more for them. And I know they're on their own journey and I hope that they will get there someday. Um, but it's just so heartbreaking that you can see that there could be more, but they're just not ready to, I guess, experience or or face what other things that may be happening and you kind of going oh I can accept that this is what they this is what they are willing to do at right now and I don't like you you articulated beautifully I can't do that for them because this is what it is for therapy clients as well when they come in and I know we're going to have to go to some hard places and we can take our time we can take our time. And at the end of the day, I can say, here's where we're at and here's where you want to go. In order to get where you want to go, we're going to have to go down this path and I'll walk with you along the path and tell me what comes up. What are you afraid of? And sometimes we just spend a lot of time just talking about what are we afraid of? And some a lot of times it's more pain at the end of the day, or I'm never going to feel better. I'm always going to be in pain. I'm always going to feel this way. Nothing I ever do is going to work. Nothing I ever, you know, what's the point? I call it the efforts, like screw it. 
you know, nothing I do is going to be when we really get underneath, like they're afraid nothing's going to change. So it's going to be, why do I put all this work in when nothing's going to change? Does that make sense? Yes. And I didn't think there was really much else more I could do. (laughs) You know, I'm doing everything I feel I can, but I did want to just get your take on it because it is one of those situations that uh, it's, it's hard to see somebody in pain and know that you're trying to help, but they have to meet, you know, they have to meet you to a certain point. Like you were saying before, unless they themselves make that decision. And I guess the hard part is sometimes they believe they've made the decision because they're like, but I, I am, I did go see the doctor and I am here having, you know, my exercises. I have made that decision and they don't realize or they can't see how much that other part or the other area is affecting you know, themselves in in all different ways. And I guess I get stuck in trying to communicate that to them because I also have to be aware too that when there's trauma, there's emotions and feelings and fear and all of that that you need to be very careful of because it could, you know, explode in a in a different way or it could facing more of that pain could cause more pain physically. So I know it's a very, um, you know, sensitive area and I also try to, if I can, refer them off to a therapist, a psychologist, whoever it may be, because I know it's not my area either. You know, at the end of the day, I need to stay in my lane, um, but it, it does get hard when you are trying to help somebody. And you see it. See, this is what you said. I see it. And that's what I, I, I have this thing where I tell people, you see it, you want them to see it. And you see, if you just do this, you're, you you might feel better. And we see it and we want it for them. And they're just not there. And that's hard. There's grief in that sometimes. And when you go, okay, this is where they're at. I see where they could go. And I like how you said, I, I use that analogy a lot of saying, I'm like, we are like souling because I say that a lot on staying in your own lane because it's easy to get out of our lane and go, oh, but if I, and I'm like, whose lane are we in? Are you in their lane or my lane? And you're like, okay, I got in their lane. I go, okay, just take a deep breath. It's okay. Just take a deep breath back in your lane. What can and can't you do? What can and can't you offer? What are they, what is their, this is what I, even in therapy, it's like learning that our children have their own journey. And we think, if I just was a better parent, if I just would have taught them this or whatever, fill in the blank. And yet they have their own journey that is outside of us. And I think it's a beautiful way to release the responsibility of what we can and can't do for other people. And it's a journey. It really is. Yes. Well, I do find that uh, someone said to me a while back when there was some things going on and they were saying to me, you know, even if you would like to help them and they, they're they just not ready or they don't want to make that decision or they can't see it or whatever it is, that's their journey and you just have to wish them well on their journey and be there if they ever want help. But remember, at the end of the day, everybody is on their own journey. And, you know, some people, she she said it is, some people are on a slightly more enlightened journey than others and some are just a bit further back on their journey and haven't gotten to that enlightened moment yet. But it will come at some point. It's just longer for others. Yeah. 
Yes, it's a beautiful way to say it. And it's liberating at that point because you're off the hook from trying to make it all better for them or trying to get their pain less or decrease it or manage it somehow. Like I'm free from that. That's there. We're all responsible of managing our own pain. But boy, do we want someone else to to take that away from us. Boy, do we want someone else to make us feel better. Boy, do we. Of course we do. And we're powerless then. If I'm waiting for someone else, now I'm not saying not go to doctors. I'm talking about emotionally. Like if I'm waiting for somebody else to make me feel better, I'm going to be in a very frustrated, lonely, bitter place because no one can make us feel better. There can be guides. There can be people that walk alongside us in the journey, but they can't make us feel a certain way. And that is a rumble because we have a fantasy that if we go X, Y to this therapist, this exercise class, this healer, that then we're going to be free. And really, when we decide to caretake ourselves, to tend to our nurture our emotions and to be our, our reparent ourselves in a sense, that's where the healing is found. We, the answers lie within us, but we're not told that. We're looking every place else for the answers. Yeah. And I also think too, society kind of reinforces that in a way, as in in the sense that, oh, you've got heart reflux. I mean, sorry, acid reflux. Just take this medication. That will just, it's the Band-Aid effect. We're not getting to the root cause of things. And I have that you know, even with my clients, they might come in and say, well, you know, I'm having this pain and this scan says, you know, I've got a disbulge at L4, L5. And I said, you may have, but how are you sitting down? How are you walking? What's the alignment of your body? You know, there are, there's something at the start that contributes to these things happening. And unless we go back to the root of that and start changing that, these Band-Aid effects essentially won't change it'll just work for a short period of time and then something else will crop up and something else so I my view is there is a lot of it coming through from society and as you said before to go back and work on ourselves physically mentally emotionally it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of effort and we don't as humans we don't like effort we like simple we like easy we like the quick fix so yeah it's a it's a very hard um, thing to work through I think too It is. It really, truly is. It's all these messages of this is the formula and just do this and then this will be the result. Well, some for some people that it doesn't mean it's for it's it's really body, mind and spirit all work together. It's just but we're not taught that we separate the body from the emotions. We separate the spirit from the body. We separate it. It's all separate. And I'm like, no, it's all the body works. It all works together. But we didn't know that or learn that how it's all connected. And I think that's where there is that sort of difference between Western medicine and Eastern medicine. And a lot of people will go to Western medicine first and it is amazing. There are so many, you know, amazing advancements and, you know, surgeries and things that we can do with Western. But I also think, you know, Eastern has been there for thousands of years and it worked for a reason because there is definitely more of a connection through the spirit and the mind and the body. 
And I think sometimes melding them together where possible, people can get even better results than just relying on one or the other. Yes, it's. It, I think that's the path. It's an integration of all of it. And that's what I love to empower people to do is we're listening to our body. What is the body telling you? What is your body telling you? Uh, you have a headache. What is it telling you? You don't have a, your throat hurts because you don't feel like you have a voice. You've lost your, you've got laryngitis. What are you holding? What do you feel like you can't voice? Have you lost your voice? Like there's metaphors, but there's also invitations. Like the body is inviting us into exploring what is there. What is it telling you? That's not something. So I'll ask my body, what are you wanting me to know? What are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to show me? That's new for many people, including myself that have been on this journey. I mean, it's it's not something that comes automatic sometimes because we want to go into fix it mode. Yeah, well, I'll just do this and I'll do that. And I, we're not really diving into what is it telling me, right? What is it teaching me? What is it trying to show me? Or you might have people, which is similar to me, who I'm feel I feel I'm pretty in tune with my body, and I do hear those signals, but I squash them down because I know that I need to keep going because I need to work today. I need to get my kids to school. Yeah. I need to I need to function. I need to be at my best. So that's just a small headache that I don't need to worry about. Like I'll just drink some more water and it'll be fine and I'll be able to keep going. So I think there's that there's that aspect in some people too because, you know, as a society, we have been brought up with those values to value, you know, to keep going, to be able to perform. Productivity. Yeah. Productivity. Exactly, which outstrips wellness and health a lot of the time so many of the time and that's where that imbalance occurs that then we do start experiencing bigger issues and whether or not that's pain or you know no energy feeling burnt out uh you know being overwhelmed feeling stuck that as you said before I can't tell you what emotion I'm feeling because it just is just too overwhelming it's too much it's too much. I just want to make it go away. So I'm going to get on my phone and get on Instagram because <laughs> yeah. that's a lot easier. And then I can just numb out and then I feel like crap because I'm comparing myself to those people. I just said like it doesn't really, really, to get to your point, get to the root of what's really going on on the inside. Mm. The quiet ourselves to connect with that is key. Yes. And I think what you've brought up today, connecting with our breath you know, being in tune with our body, listening to our body, making a decision if we want to make a change. And also, you know, if you, there is, I would say there is still some stigma out there around therapy, you know, around saying that I need to go to therapy. So if you, you know, what do you wish that people knew about therapy or what would you say to people if there's anybody listening in going, that sounds great, Kristen, but there's no way I'm going to go talk to somebody about my emotions. I just had this conversation tonight. It's I was at a I'm on a board, and one of the cows said, "My mom will not go to therapy. We lost my dad. She refuses." And she's like, "What do I say?" And I said, "Well, first of all, nothing you can say can change somebody. Here's here's the key." I said, and this wasn't necessarily. I'm I'm speaking off the cuff not necessarily about this particular question she had. But first of all, I always say therapy is like taking a class in yourself. 
And so you're learning about yourself. Like, why do I react that way when someone says something? Why was that? Why did that trigger me? Why did that activate me? Why did I have that response or reaction to that? Why do I feel stuck? Why do I feel lost? Why do I feel like I'm having a midlife crisis? I don't know. I'm, I can't make a decision to save my life. I feel like I have so much self-doubt when I make a decision. Here's the thing about therapy. The first thing is it's scary and everybody feels anxious about going. So this is normal to go. I'm going to talk to a stranger and tell them like these most vulnerable things about myself. No, thanks. And when I say it is because they don't, the therapist is there to witness and to guide without judgment. And if you go to a therapist and you feel judged, it's not the right fit. You won't be able to go to the places you need to go. And that's, that's one is listened to. If it's not the right fit of a therapist, then it's okay to change. That's the other thing. People go, well, I'll have to be with this person forever. No, you don't. If it's not a good fit, you can go someplace else. Secondly, therapy is about breaking cycles and patterns that you feel like you can't do on your own. So a lot of people feel stuck and they don't know how to get out of a cycle or a pattern. They feel lost. They feel helpless, hopeless, despair. They question themselves. They have a lot of shame and a lot of fear. And when you go, okay, I've done what I know to do and it's not getting me where I need to go. That's when a therapy comes in and augments what you feel like, okay, I need some guidance to help me get where I want to go. I want to feel better. If you want to feel relief, you want to feel better about yourself. That's what therapy does. So I told this gal, I said, because she comes and talks to her daughter about everything and the daughter's trying to be a parent to her children. And she's like, I can't, it's, it's, I can't, I can't, I love my mom, but she's, I can't be her therapist. I say, what you say is mom, I love you and I care about you. And I can't offer you what you're, what you're needing. And I think a therapist can, and I know you don't want to go and I know you don't think it's going to be helpful, but I, I don't have what you're looking for. I, I'm not going to be able to offer you what you need. It doesn't mean mom's going to go, oh, yes, and I'm going to go now. It's being able to have that boundary to, to say, this is what I can and can't offer you. Because what's going to happen is it's going to take away from your family and your partner <laughs> and your relationship. And that is on you because that is your, you're choosing to do that. Where mom is an adult, your children aren't, your children need you. So therapy is breaking cycles, breaking patterns and, and feeling better. Ultimately people are like, well, I feel, I feel like I'm going to feel worse. You may, but ultimately I promise people you will feel better if you're with the right therapist. Well, it's like you said, it's making progress, isn't it? Progress doesn't always look like going forward or look like being happy all the time because we have to go through the uncomfortable parts to get to the better part sometimes. Yeah. I think people are looking for contentment. They say happiness. I'm like, well, happiness comes and goes just like any other emotion, but we want that. We're like, I just want to feel happy and joy. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I get you, but that's not reality. And if you sign up for that with therapy, you're going to be sorely disappointed because it's not you. You'll have more contentment with your life with who you are, with setting boundaries, with your relationships, with yourself as a parent, as a partner, as a person. 
And you're still going to have the ebbs and flows of life, but you're taught how to deal with them. You're able to sit in the discomfort and know that it's not going to take you down the rabbit hole. Like you're like, okay, this should too shall pass. And yes, there may be pain for a while and I can, I can handle it. Yeah. It's having those tools, isn't it? In your toolbox yes. that you can then use to be able to process different things that may be happening. Yeah. That's where the school, like you're taking a class in yourself and you get the tools, you get the resources, and then you feel like you can handle, you're equipped. Whereas before you're like, I have no idea where to start. I don't even, you're so overwhelmed. You don't, they break it down for you in bite-sized chunks if need be. Mm. Give you tools and resources and strategies. So you feel like, okay, I can handle this. I can do this. I can face this. And I'm going to just segue here. The life coach, I'll wrap up very quickly. Um, Life coaching has become a big thing. What is your take on life coaching and how is it different to having a life coach to having a therapist? Very good question. So uh, uh, coaches are not licensed. And I know every country, every state does it differently. Here in the United States, you have to go through, uh, you have to have a master's degree to be a therapist, you have to go through extensive training and then you have to pass like a board of exam. And then you have to have a residency and an internship. And a coach can just say you're, at least in the United States, you can just call yourself a coach no matter what. Like you, you don't have to go through any, I mean, train at least right now. It's not a regulated board. So it's very different. And I think there can be some great life coaches out there. There can be some not great life coaches, same in therapy. You could have some great therapists out there and not so great therapists. So the credentialing is different. So for example, what I do, I'm trauma trained and trauma informed. So I'm very um, skilled at looking at the brain and the body and the emotions and the, the psychology of how to work through trauma. So I've, I've got EMDR certification. Have you heard of EMDR? No. I Okay. It's a form of trauma treatment for um, anybody that's gone through severe trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression. And it was really born out of veterans that have been in combat. You don't have to have that experience, but we're like, oh, this is applicable to life. It's There's 40 years of research. Anyways, there's more specialized training sometimes for therapists that have been in the field for a while. Not to say coaches can't get training too, because they can. It's just a very different regimented, I guess, training. That's the difference depending on the life. Now, some life coaches go through a lot of training, but they don't have to, to be a life coach, at least right now, how it stands. Whereas a therapist has to go through schooling, credentialing, pass an exam, et cetera. Highly, highly qualified. (laughs) It's just different. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's, as I said, it's one of those topics that I obviously deal with all the time, but I don't even think I realized until we got into this conversation how much um, I actually do. So that was very fascinating. Can you leave our listeners with how they can reach out, connect with you? I First of all, I just want to say you're doing some amazing work. I mean, not a lot of, I would say, Pilates instructors or 
doing any kind of classes that you're doing or, or working with clients the way you do. So I just want to acknowledge that. I think that was, I could just tell you have a lot of background in this and you're doing, you're such a gift to your clients. So in terms of where to find me, you could go to kristendboyce.com. It's K-R-I-S-T-E-N, D, Boyce, B-O-I-C-E, like finding your voice, but with a B, um, dot com. And then I have a podcast, Close the Chapter Podcast. And I just try to provide as much helpful content as possible. And then on Instagram, if you want to get on the social, uh, Instagram at Kristen D. Boyce or Facebook. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's again, as I said, it's been um, amazing. And I'm sure listeners will get so much out of this as well. Thank you so much, Kate, for having me. It has been a pleasure. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.